my wife's were. I, I don't, I'm like oblivious. I just like things loud. I'm a musician, so, and I like rock and roll. I'm not a classical trained musician, which I, I find that most classical trained people, yeah, there's a couple in the back, they don't like loud music. I, on the other hand, do. So um, I don't know why I just shared that. But anyways, I thought it would work. It obviously didn't. But uh, welcome to church, everybody. Uh, so glad you're here this morning. Hey, listen, you've uh, won the battle. You showed up today. And we are, we are hoping um, that God will minister to you faithfully through the preaching of his word. You know, it's, we're not just coming here to sing songs. We're coming to gather around the scripture and learn and grow in the knowledge and revelation of Jesus Christ. And so um, this morning, I have a short word. Um, but nevertheless, I believe it is from God uh, because it is in the scripture. Uh, so before we get into it, makes sense, right? Um, let's pray uh, because I'm going to need the Holy Spirit's help. Um, and so let's call upon the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, right now, we ask that you would come into my mouth and rest upon my words. I ask, Lord, that every word and phrase spoken this morning would exalt Jesus And would cause within your people deepened affections for Christ. Lord, would you do that in so much more today as we gather around your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, if you have your Bibles, you can turn open to Hebrews chapter 10. That's going to be the main text of today's conversation. A one-sided conversation, seeing how I have the mic and you don't. But if you have any questions after the sermon, you can feel free to email me at, no, I'm just kidding. Um, But Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be uh, reading verse 19 through 23, just a couple verses to get us started here. Um, I want to title this sermon, The Sufficiency of Christ. Um, I don't think that anything I will share this morning will be a heavy revy, uh, a deep revelation of who God is, but however, I do believe that what I preach today will remind us of, well, a precious truth that we see in Scripture. And just maybe there might be some of us here today that need reminding of the sufficiency of Christ. And so let's read verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10 to get us started. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. Now he's talking about Jesus. And since we have this great high priest still talking about Jesus, over the house of God, let us, the church, draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, in our bodies washed pure with pure water, excuse me. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised these things is faithful. Yeah, thank you, babe. That's a great scripture and a great time to say amen. Um, about four weeks ago, me and my wife decided to take a look at our finances and see where it was that we were kind of wasting money on just meaningless things. One of the things that we uh, feel as though is awfully meaningless at the Temple household is our cable. Do I have anybody here that just is like, why am I paying a lot of money for cable? Well, okay, I have one over in the corner. That's great. Um, but uh, we realized that we were spending anywhere between 70 to $80 a month just for like 12 channels. 
yeah, we had the bare minimal. It's crazy. And so we decided to cut back, and a good friend of ours, actually a family member, suggested that we buy the Amazon Fire Stick. Anybody familiar with the Amazon Fire Stick? Okay, just so you know, this is not a, a plug for the Amazon Fire Stick. I'm not trying to sell you on the thing. However, we were told that if you buy this thing, you can simply purchase apps uh, of your favorite networks. Like if you like ESPN and you're into sports or fighting and boxing and whatnot, you can buy the ESPN app for about 6 to $7 a month and view all the content on that app. And so we're like, hey, like five or six bucks, that sounds a lot better than 70 or 80 bucks for 12 channels that we don't even enjoy. And so we bought this fire stick um, with uh, a, a sense of confidence, elated that we were going to save money. We quickly canceled our um, cable. And uh, lo and behold, you know, uh, if you've heard me um, preach before, I like the Patriots. It's only because they are uh, America's best NFL football team. If they, were, if they stung, I would not like them. I would not follow them. I would not watch them. I am a fair weather fan to the core. But they happen to be winning, and so I'm watching. And uh, when we got the fire stick, I was sure that I was going to be able to watch the game against the Baltimore Ravens. Now, I realized we had just gotten it that week, and, well, I wasn't really privy to how to use the stick. I just, I, you know, do you ever get into situations where you're like, oh, I'm going to nail this. I will figure this thing out. You buy something, and then you get into, like, you know, setting it up or building it, and you're just like, I don't know what I got myself into. What am I doing? Well, that's kind of how I feel about the fire stick. I am definitely not utilizing this piece of equipment to its full potential. And in relating this uh, to the message today, I happen to think, me, myself, and I'm sure there's others here, that aren't utilizing the full potential, unlocking the full power of God's grace through and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I, I, I happen to believe that this is what Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 23 touches upon. And if you're like me, you know how hard it is to kind of, especially in the midst of battles, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of, dare I say, even sin, it is hard to really understand that in the midst of circumstances, in situations, and even when I find myself tangled up in sin, it is hard to understand, it's hard to fathom a God who is still gracious and merciful towards me. And I, and I often find myself thinking, how long, God, you know, will you tolerate this? Anybody ever ask that question? I do. I ask myself many times, how long, God, will you put up with this part of me that I can't get over? I can't seem to find victory. I, I can't seem to find help and healing. How long? And, and how many know that God doesn't approve of us upon our good works and our ability to withstand sin I mean, those are all great and good. I mean, we should work to fight against sin in our lives. But it's not necessarily the way that God measures his acceptance towards us. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, that is good news. And again, I told you, I'm not coming with some new revelation for you. We don't need new revelation. We just need to remind ourselves from some very old, ancient truths that exist so that actually we can enjoy life in Christ. And so it baffles me to think that God... Over 20-something years of my life and being a Christian, he is still gracious and merciful towards me. I happen to think that this is what the book of Hebrews reminds us of. I happen to believe that the author of Hebrews doesn't want us to be confused over the issue, doesn't want us to be in the dark. He wants us to be sure of God's grace 
in his son Jesus. He brings the author, some say it's Paul, some say it's not, but the author brings clarity and assures us that we can do nothing in and of ourselves to, well, like the author says, uh, clean our evil conscience apart from what Jesus Christ has already done. And see, here's, here's the deal, like, Jesus, some of us Christians treat Jesus as if he just died for our past sins. Friends, I want to tell you that Jesus not only died for things in the past that you have committed, he has died for both your past, your present, and your future. Your very today, your day today, has already been forgiven. Anything that you fail in, anything that you feel as though you don't measure up to, Christ has already paid a significant price. It is finished. And I believe that the book of Hebrews works to remind us of this special truth. In chapter 10, verse 19 through 23 is a great example of that. I don't know if anybody's ever heard the quote from Albert Einstein, who once famously said, the, defini the definition, excuse me, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Let's just let that sit in for a little bit. <laughs> I can totally relate, Albert. Thank you for that nugget of wisdom. But how many of us try to do the same thing over and over, especially in our relationship with the Lord, where we kind of become a bit religious, where we think like, well, if we do this list of things, surely it's going to bring us closer to God. And if we stay away from these bad things, then God will love us. God will accept us. God will extend his grace and mercy towards us. We kind of do better, guys, with checks, lists. We, we kind of do better with, well, if really boil it down to the way in which they did it in the Old Testament. Forms and formalities, rules and regulations. It just works out better to think like, oh, God, you will approve of me if I do this. You know, God, you're not going to approve of me if I do that. That just makes more sense to me than, than uh, God who has paid, excuse me, the ultimate price so that no matter what I do, I can be forgiven. In Christ and not in my own righteousness. For me, that, that floors me. It energizes me. It gets me up in the morning. Because yeah, I'm, I'm just like you. There are many times in my life that I feel like an absolute failure. And stories like these, rem, rem, being reminded of truths like these, reminded, reminds me, excuse me, that yes, I am a failure. But I'm also an overcomer. See, we relate to checklists and rules and regulations more than we relate to the free gift of God's um, grace in Christ Jesus. And, and I, I hope that if you're here today, and that's you, that somehow we can get free together and as a church move more towards relying upon the free gift of God's grace in his son Christ Jesus than we do on our works and good deeds, thinking that somehow if we do the right things, God's going to approve of us or love us more. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and 12 says, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all 
by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Isn't this awesome? Now, we don't have a lot of time to get into kind of the backstory of Hebrews, but in chapter 9, in the first eight verses, the author reminds us of the way in which in the Old Testament people drew near to God. And ultimately, it was a real exclusive event. Like, it, like people who drew near to God were only priest and high priest. It, that, that, that privilege didn't apply to just common people like me and you. It only replied to people who were super consecrated, somewhat good-looking. I'd be right out if that was the case. I wouldn't be allowed. But anyways, but, but yet here in the New Testament, we find that God has made a place to draw near to God for everyone. It's not exclusive anymore. It, doesn't just rem- uh, it just doesn't apply to the priesthood. It applies to everyone. Hebrews, I think, reminds us not to go back to the rules and regulations of the Old Testament where God is no longer taking offerings for sin. He has changed and replaced those rules and regulations with mercy and grace. And some of us need to remind that, and like the author says, hold on to it fastly, without wavering, without doubting, God's love and mercy towards you. And so in the words of Albert Einstein, to return to the tabernacle would be absolute insanity. It would be absolute craziness. Ephesians chapter 2, 18 says this. For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Guys, we're not just talking about our favorite celebrity. We're not just talking about getting backstage to our favorite musician and meeting them or our favorite author or even minister. We're talking about getting backstage, if you would, with God in the presence of God Almighty. Now, I understand it might be very hard for some of you to wrap your small brains around that. Because you're like me. I have, a, I have a real hard time like wrapping my very small brain around that reality. But irregardless of how you feel about it and what senses a statement like that awakens within you, it is the truth. That, that through Christ Jesus, we don't just have access to our favorite celebrity or our favorite minister or itinerant uh, speaker. We have access. We've been granted access into the uh, presence of God. Uh, that's why like, when we have mornings like this, I get so excited. I'm like, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we're... I don't just look at this as like some little cute gathering that we're just like coming together and trying to play the church. I I really look at this as an opportunity for us, the people of God, to draw near to God. I I actually believe, you you can call me insane if you want, but I actually believe that when we come together, Jesus is present with us. Man, if we went to church with that kind of attitude, if, if we went to church with that kind of expectation... Oh, the nature of this service would change. I'm not just talking about Hilltop. I'm talking about the church in general. We would stop dragging people to church. People have some kind of expectation. We're going to draw near to God. I don't know. So a place where a priest could only enter at one time is now a place where all can enter. Anybody who wants to come 
into God's presence can. You're special. Just tell yourself to that today. You're, you're special. If you're a child of God, you are a special person. I, I don't know if anybody here has ever had the privilege of getting into a place where only fewer able to go, but I have. Now, I'm not saying that I'm cool. It's actually my wife who's cool. And I just happen to like hang around because I'm married, you know, hang around and I get into really cool places. It's kind of, I, I, I kind of understand how Jesus did it for us. I kind of like look at it like, you know, my wife is like Jesus. She like, like she's opened some pretty, oh, I tried on that one. Okay. Um, but, but seriously, I remember uh, going to Lou Engel's uh, 60th birthday party. Now, Everybody knows Lou. He's spoken here many times. And it wasn't that I got to go to Lou's birthday. It was, because, it was all the other people Lou's birthday that I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I just read that guy's book. Like, oh, my goodness. I just saw that guy on the Internet preaching about this. I so love that. I can't believe I'm here with these people. And, 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 I, and, you know, if we can just use that example and connect it to what Hebrews is saying here, that, that, that through Christ's blood, through his body, we have a special access to God that, that shouldn't just be handled tritely and kind of like, oh, well, yeah, great, going to church today. It'd be like, I'm going to church today. I, I'm going to be in the presence of God. I'm gonna pa- it doesn't matter what happened this week. It doesn't matter what happened this morning. I'm passing through the veil of Christ's body, through his blood, and I am entering the presence of God. So you don't have to just hang out on the outer courts. You don't even have to hang out on the inner court. You can come right into the holy of holies, the place where God dwells. And that's just not pie in the sky. We're not just talking like, oh, like, yeah, that sounds great. Let me, amen. But it is real. It is real. It is a real place that God wants to bring his people. And when I say draw near, I'm not just talking about coming to church on Sunday. Drawing near to God has nothing to do with church attendance. It has everything to do with your heart and the posture of your heart and the expectation that you have. That's, I mean, ultimately, just backing up without getting too far ahead of myself, the author of Hebrews encourages us to take advantage of this new and living way, to not go back to the tabernacle, this new and living way of entering the presence of God through a new curtain, the body of Christ, his body. That's what we read. Let's just read it again just in case we forgot. Hebrews chapter 10, again, 19 through 24, 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he, Christ, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, that is Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance and faith. Let our hearts be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to this confession of hope without wavering. For he who has promised this thing right now that we're reading, these five verses, well, he is faithful. He is faithful to his word. So point one, God did something very special for you. And my advice to that point is take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Next point This concept of drawing near to God with confidence and full assurance of faith. I love this because, you know, in the Old Testament, if you do any studying, you find that, man, 
you could give me any job, but the priesthood, like, I wouldn't want that job. God means business. Like, like people died fooling around in dishonoring God. If you, for example, I think in Leviticus, Aaron's two sons were put to death for um, exercising their priestly duties in a, in a dishonorable way. So, so, like, I mean, talk about dealing with a boss that you just <laughs> know what you're going to get. It's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous territory. The last thing I would want to do if I grew up in that time was be a priest. It's not like, yeah, sign me up. Like, it's, no, it's a dangerous, risky job. But yet here, the tables have switched. It's, it's, something has turned where not only are we able to come into the presence of God, something that the people in the Old Testament didn't have the luxury of doing, we get to come with confidence we get to come with a boldness. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to shrink back with, will God accept me? Listen, friends, it's not on the basis of your morality. It's not on the basis of your own righteousness that you can come anyways. It's not. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your checklist. Did I meet this? Did I meet that? Did I do this? Did I not do that? Oh, I screwed up there. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Christ. So not only do we have the luxury, the privilege of entering to the, God, the presence of God, we have the privilege of coming confidently and boldly into the presence of God. Something that wasn't a luxury in the Old Testament. This is remarkable. This is why I don't understand Christians when they come to church, they're so passive and dialed down. Like, like what are you afraid of? Like, we should be responding to what Christ has done for us and that we're coming together, getting together in the presence of God. We don't have to be timid, fearful, anxious if God will approve us or not. He has already approved. He has already made you a son. You are already a daughter of His. He welcomes you to come in. And, and most Christians are just happy with just remaining on the outside. If you knew me, God, that's a weird statement. If you knew what I did, God, that's a weird statement. Again, I just want to drive this. It is not based upon what you do and what you don't do. And so point number two is draw near to God with confidence, the full assurance of faith that he is for you more than you think. Actually, draw near the draw near theme, if you would, um, seems to be a central message in the book of Hebrews. I think it actually pops up a good 12 times. I have three of them. You want to read? It's um, Hebrews. Well, not, I'll read them. You just, okay. Um, Hebrews uh, 4.16. You can put them on the overhead if you want. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. What a beautiful, what, what, I mean, just such imagery just goes up in my head. Throne of grace. We often... You know, I often have this view of God just like this high and lofty, disgruntled, irritated old man, just like, I'm looking just to smite everyone. But yet, Hebrews paints God in the light of this man who is sitting on not just any throne, but a throne of grace. That's beautiful for me. Uh, since he is always, um, since he always, excuse me, lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who draws near to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. I already read that. I'm sorry. I I only said three. Um, So right away in the book of Hebrews, the author uh, determines the nature of our relationship with God. He, He defines it for us, that we're not to shrink back, that we're not to be overly caught up with the do's and don'ts of like how we, um, with some sense of excellence, um, performed as a Christian throughout the week. God's not looking at your form. He's looking at his son. So what do we have confidence in? We have confidence that our sin is forgiven. We have confidence that we no longer respond, relate, worship, draw near to God by rules and regulations. We are confident that our great high priest, Jesus, has come once and for all. For all means everyone who is his son and daughter. He has come into the holy place by not the means of the blood of a calf or a bull, but by his own blood securing for us our eternal redemption. Not just our eternal security, but on this side of heaven, if you would, he has purchased for us our, not eternal, that would be wrong to say, but our constantly coming before and drawing near to him. See, it's not just that Christ has secured our salvation. He has also secured a place where we can enter now and and, and find help and find the grace of God. Now, on this side of life, to draw near to God, something of which they didn't have up until Christ. Have you ever um, misread someone? I'm sure we've all had the privilege. I'm sure I've been misread many times by many people. Um, But uh, in eighth grade, there was this young man named Charlie Drew. And uh, yeah, no, Charlie, it's true. His name was Charlie Drew. It's actually a cool name. Um, but, um, you know, when I first saw Charlie, I, 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 I wanted to stay away from him. He was just, you, ever, you just ever see somebody from a distance, you're like, that dude means business. Like, he's big. I mean, he's an eighth grader, and he looks like he should be in high school. He's got big arms kind of looks disgruntled. He kind of looks always like he's always angry. And I'm, I'm just going to keep my distance. Like, I mean, because I'm not going to mess with that guy. And I think overall that was like the general consensus of Charlie growing up in middle school. But fortunate for me, um, my parents, uh, they put me into this after school program where you could do after school um, activities like kickball, baseball, and whatnot. And um, lo and behold, Charlie was there too. And come to find out um, through these 20 students that were part of this after-school program, Charlie was actually a nice guy and warm and tender. He was, he was the exact opposite of everything I kind of falsely assumed about him by just looking him across from the cafeteria he was warm. He was gently. Actually, me and Charlie became really good friends throughout all of middle school and some of high school. 
I, I use Charlie as an example because I, I sometimes think we misread God. I know that I do. I'll just throw myself out there on the chopping block. I often have this view of God that is, I think, off. I, 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 like I said earlier, I often think that he's a bit, you know, always angry and irritated, that he, he, you know, he dwells in unapproachable light, and who am I to draw near him? I mean, like, I often think that he's just, you know, he's not a happy camper, and I should just keep my distance. Anybody ever respond to God like that? Maybe I'm the only one. But, but here in Hebrews, we get to see God painted in a different light. That, that he's not angry with us. That, that he's not uh, trying to, you know, just avoid us. And that he's not just this high and lofty character sitting in the heavens, um, you know, untouched, unmoved by our experiences, our grievances, our struggles, our sin. That he's very much moved in the sense that well before we even existed, he already had a plan in Genesis, to send his son to further convince us that we are something very special to him. So much that he wouldn't just secure for you and I our salvation, but he would secure, again, through his son, a meeting place that humans could meet with God, exchange with God. And and sometimes I, I think, I'm very much guilty of this, that I just think like, you know, too much about what God has secured for me in regards to my salvation. And I forget sometimes what he's done for me in this side of eternity, that I can relate to God in a very special way, that I don't have to just remain on the outside, but I can get into his presence through his son. How many of us here this morning, I imagine, struggle with seeing God for who he really is? The author of Hebrews works at showing us who God is. Last point, and then we're going to close and take communion. And turning back to Hebrews chapter 10, if you're there, the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. I imagine that that's there for a purpose, that it's not an accident that that actually closes out those five verses. And if I can relate this to my own life, I imagine it's there so that we won't forget, but I also imagine it's there that we won't doubt. That, that actually in our, our focus, if you would, our fight to not waver from that truth that we just read in Hebrews 19 through 23. But I imagine it's there because we have the tendency of actually doubting what Christ has done for us. I know that I can definitely throw my heart out there. There have been many times throughout my walk, even as recently, that I I have doubted what Christ has not just purchased for me as, uh, um, uh, as my, in my salvation, excuse me, but what he's provided for me in my life here on earth. I, I just have a hard time with, with, with understanding and, and rightly processing the fact that God wants me near. I mean, the, the simple invitation 12 times in the book of Hebrews should be a clear indication that God is not rejecting us, but God is inviting us. 
And you know, I, I grieve because the church, for the most part, stands unmoved at this truth. We say that we love the gospel, but we are always looking for new ways to become fascinated with Christ. Friend, we don't have to look for new ways. We can hold fast without wavering the precious truth of Christ that He has not only purchased our salvation, but He has made a way for us to enter the presence of God. And that, friend, is enough to keep you until He returns or you breathe your last breath. But no, we're always looking for pull the rabbit out of the hat, God. What you're going to show us in the book today? What new revelation are you going to give us, God? Thus, or therefore, the gospel has no grip and hold on our heart to actually fuel our worship. The, the thought that, um, that Christ had sacrificed His very body for our salvation and for us to be able to enter the presence of God becomes no more precious than just something we learned in Sunday school. When the truth of it should fuel our faith for the entirety of our life. So friends, my plea to you is to hold on. Hold fast without wavering. Don't move from this truth. Don't move. It doesn't matter what the internet preacher is preaching. It doesn't matter what the prophet is prophesying. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the message of Jesus crucified, buried, and that he rose again and that one day he is coming back to take his church. Hold on to that truth and it will fuel your faith until he returns. So three points. God has done something very special for us. He has given us VIP status. Access into the presence of His Father. Two, draw near to God with confidence and full assurance of faith. Three, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the simple truths of what it teaches, of what it shows us. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, and I promise I'm closing here. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you do not want us to return to the tabernacle, for in your Son, you have provided a new and living way. God, let our faith not be boiled down to rules and regulations. Let our faith come down to this. Jesus' body was broken. Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. And through the broken body of Christ, we have access to the presence of God. And by his resurrection one day, we will be with God. Let us hold fast to these truths in Jesus' name. I'd like to invite Ian and the worship team back up. We're going to take communion to solidify.
this message to remind us of something that we often forget. So Ian, if you'd come up. I think you're somewhere around here. There you are. Oh, yeah. 